witnessed paper asking for £365 to be remitted to Mrs. Anderson. Are you content? Oh, dearie me, yes, said Anderson, laughing. Oh, yes, sir, quite content. Then sign here, said the clerk. But seeing Anderson's uneasy look, he murmured, Well, just make your mark in the bottom corner. And so it went, right through the list. There were a few men with no dependents of any kind, and they walked off with the entire hundred and fifty-seventh part of half the splendid prize. But most over thirty had yielded to the representations of their captain and divisional officers to send at least some money home, and all eagerly agreed with the clerk's reckoning. At one time Stephen Maturin, the frigate's surgeon, had been calculating the degree of literacy aboard, but melancholy, no doubt helped by the increasing wind and the spindrift, had welled up, and he lost count among the names beginning with N. "'How I do wish,' he murmured to Jack in a moment's pause, "'that William and his Ringles might have been here.' "'So do I, indeed.' But, you know, as a privately owned tender to what is in fact a hydrographical vessel, I do not think they would stand in line for more than fourpence. In any case, I could not refuse Lord Keith. He had no other suitable craft at hand. He asked it as a personal favour. And I owe him a great deal. I owe both of them a great deal. Of course, of course— it was only that I should have liked some of the younger ones to accept a gold piece by way of memento, said Stephen. How the waves increase! The darkness thickens! They will rejoin at Madeira, said Jack, and then you can give them their gold pieces. They talked on quietly until Jack realised that Willis and young husband had been dealt with, and that once Moses Zachary— one of Surprise's very old Sethian hands had stopped chuckling over the coins that he obscurely insisted upon stuffing, or trying to stuff, into a variety of little inadequate triangular pockets, it would be time for him as captain to wind up proceedings. But the proceedings would not be wound up. In spite of the gathering darkness and the now quite vicious driving rain, some hand, probably Giles, captain of the foretop, called out, "'It's all along of a unicorn's horn! It's all along of the glorious end! Huzzay! Three times huzzay for the doctor!' Lord, how they cheered their surgeon! It was he who had brought the narwhal's tusk aboard— and the severed hand, the hand of glory, was his property. Both symbolised and practically guaranteed immense good fortune, virility, safety from poison or any disease you chose to name, and both had proved their worth. Jack Aubrey was a taut captain. He had been brought up by commanders who looked upon exact discipline and exact gunfire as of equal importance in a man of war but on this occasion he knew that he had nothing whatsoever to say. And, speaking privately to his first lieutenant, he observed, "'Mr. Harding, when things are a little calmer, let us weigh, and proceed sou'west by west with all the sail she can bear. If any king's ship hails or signals, you will reply, 
carrying dispatches, and pursue your course, touching neither sheet nor brace. "'Southwest by west it is, sir, and carrying dispatches,' said Harding. And Jack, steadying Stephen by the elbow—the frigate was pitching quite violently by now—guided him to the great cabin, where they sat at their ease on the cushioned stern-lockers that ran across the ship under the elegant, remarkably elegant sash-lights that gave on to the sea. "'I'm afraid it is going to turn out a truly dirty night,' said Jack. He stood up, and in his sure-footed seaman's way walked over to his barometer. "'Yes,' he said, "'dirtier than I'd thought.' He came back and gazed out at the darkness, full of rain and flying water from the ship's bow-wave, more and more as she increased her way. But however, he went on, I most heartily...